Hi, welcome to Never Knows. I have to come clean. Kate, I have to tell them. We have been talking for 30 minutes and I thought we were recording, but we were not. I'm Chris, welcome to Never Knows. This is Kate, this is the phantom voice that you're hearing right now. And with us is our good friend, Canadian Jane. I, I'm i saying that because we were just at one of our local watering holes and they referred to her as Canadian Jane. And I just thought that was the sweetest, wholesome, thing to say about somebody. I just loved it so much. It's, I, well, hello everybody and thank you for having me. Uh, and I'm fine with being thank called Thank you for being It's, uh... Yeah, I hope you didn't find that offensive. No, I don't. And I didn't, I tend, pardon me, I tend to use my Canadian identity a lot in conversation uh, here while I'm living in the States. So, I guess yeah, I... Yeah, lean in. Longer. Yeah, lean in. Alone it. And we just were talking about how Jane is technically a never know, but mm. she is betrothed. Yeah. So you want to tell us a little bit more about that? So um, in the never know context, so Shane and I have been together for 10 years. And the joke now is, is now that we're engaged, it's going to be another 10 years till we get married. Oh, wow. And part of that comes from, it's, I mean, I always fall back on, we have a mortgage together. We have dogs together. So like we are married. Mm -hmm. We just haven't signed a piece of paper. It's kind of one of those parts of my life that I'm really proud of, partially because everybody I know is so anxious to get married, so anxious to partner up. If the goal is to find somebody that can be your life partner, mm -hmm. then you need to stand up for yourself in finding a partner. Totally. So you've got to kind of play the field, Yeah. try lots of things, see what you like and what you don't like. But then you also get to figure out, oh, I don't like that. I don't like this. This isn't going to work for me. And then eventually you just gain confidence in being like, oh, I can't fart in front of you. And I need my life partner to be somebody I can fart in front of. Mm -hmm. The like, real facts. Yeah. 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 Eventually it's going to happen. You're also both going to get Norwalk virus at the same time and just be a disaster. Mm -hmm. If you can't, yeah. you will know early on if you can be that raw human mm -hmm. in front of somebody. And if you can't, and the goal is to find a life partner, then you gotta be upfront right. about it. Vulnerability. Vulnerability is like one of those giant green flags. Like if you can be vulnerable with a person, I don't I don't care what you look like. Like we're eventually yeah. gonna get old and have to take care of our parents. And from like these are things I think about, like not just like the getting sick part, but like the when we get to an older position in which we have to make healthcare decisions for those we love. And if those healthcare decisions mean my family has to move in, hopefully not. You're then, seeing your whole life flash before your eyes. Right. Like you have to just be aware of these things. And I come in really heavy when I'm like actually looking for a partner versus like, a situation which I just like need my needs met. Right. And it's such a cool magical spark when you're totally yourself and then the other person accepts you for exactly who you are, like on a first date. It's such a good feeling. You just mm -hmm. get it for a minute, you know, and you feel it and you're like, okay, I can see myself yeah. with that person. I always go to the third date for that one. Okay. Mm. Because the first date, both people are trying to like be the version of themselves that they want to be versus the version of themselves that they actually are. And a little bit yeah. of that is good. You don't want to be like, yeah. here I am. Here's all my trauma. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can 
sometimes it's fun to do. when you sit down with, across the table from somebody on a first date and you're like, oh, this is never going to work. Let's have some fun with it. Yeah. 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 I love like, that. It's all about trauma. Yeah. 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 Like Let me just drop yeah. a huge trauma dumpster yeah. fire. I'm just trying to extra make sure you'll never call me again. Never, <laughs> ever, ever, ever. Lose my number. <laughs> Figuring that part out can be really hard. And it's, it's more of a exercise in yourself. Mm-hmm. And getting to know yourself and figuring out who you are, who you want to be, how you're going to get there, what growth looks like for you, than it is about the other person. Mm-hmm. And truthfully, it goes back to if you're comfortable being by yourself, you've done a lot of that work already. Mm-hmm. So then yeah. when you're looking for that partner, it's about, okay, this is how I work. Will you fit with how I work? And will I fit with how you work? Absolutely. Yeah. Because I have definitely dated a lot of people who I'm like, you will fit how I work. And then a couple months into it, I'm like, well, I don't fit you. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And those are the ones that I would refer to as my ghosts. Ooh. Ghosts. Yeah. They, those, the they idea of what it could have been follows me around a lot. Oh. So I feel like I'm constantly haunted by these, like, that could have, if I had just done it this way, and it's not that I'm pining for them, it's more of like, there feels like there's unfinished business. Like a little parallel universe. I yeah, or you know how they talk about like ghosts come back and haunt you because they have unfinished business? Yeah. Right. It's that concept. Like, it's not like, oh, I want to date that person and I'm just kind of biding my time. It's not that mm-hmm. at all. It's more of like, there's something unresolved mm-hmm. here and that, resol- un- that lack of resolution nags at me. But that's that's a me thing, and yeah. I know myself well enough to know that like I will pick at that and poke at that until it either bursts and becomes a giant mess, and I, I like I'm just not very good at letting things lie when I should. I totally have those as well, and I was just thinking about this the other day. There are those relationships that I have haunting, mm-hmm. um, but then I have relationships that I've completely forgot about. Do you think and you can't even remember their name? Like, right. Oh my god, I dated so that hard. person. I tried so hard. I used to be so proud that I could remember everybody's first and last names. And then the other night I literally was lying in bed and be like, Ooh, what was that guy's name? Right. Do you think then that we don't remember them because they're complete? That we have yeah. we have closure? That that it was but I would I don't know if I would call it closure. I just think like I've learned everything from that point in my life that I needed to learn so the ones that haunt me I don't have to see them again for the result like I clearly am still there's a thing that I haven't learned yet mm-hmm. so and the the reason why I think it's not it's all about me it's nothing about them is that like it, like one of them for sure I bet a hundred dollars doesn't even think about me anymore but I maybe Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Don't you know? Um, But it's that there's a lesson in there that I have failed to learn. Mm -hmm. I cannot tell you how how much I love this way of looking at things because I was trying to think too, because we bring up past dating situations and create monikers for different people Mm -hmm. for the podcast. And I was trying to think the other day about like just. I don't know, a timeline of dating and like different people and stuff in my life. And there was like a total part of my life that I completely forgot. And it was um, late middle school, early high school. And I was in love with this guy. Like I cannot tell you, like I 
just totally infatuated. That is probably I, I feel like I didn't know what love was then, but I would I was very, very infatuated. Those crushes are so intense. It was so, so intense. Painful. Yes. It's all you think about. It was very it ready. consumed me. Yeah. Like it was very, very painful. Um, all of it. And I couldn't believe that when I remembered, I had completely forgot about it. And I was like, what? Like, this was like, we were primetime friends on AIM. Like we got to know each other, all these different things. And it was just like, that moment in my life was gone. And I, I think you're right. I learned everything I could from him in that relationship. And then it was gone. And that that's a foundational one. Yeah. So if you think about it as the foundation, that's your basement. Like how many times do you go in the basement and be like, this is here. And like you don't really go to the basement to like double check what's in the basement, but it yeah. matters. Brad's in the there. basement. Yeah. 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 But it still is important because everything else grows from there. So you still need that, but you've learned the lesson. You've moved on. Yeah. You've actually fallen in love and been like, Oh, that wasn't love. That yeah. was an obsession. Mm-hmm. this is love and so you've learned and you've built the blocks on top of that so that you do you do forget about it because so there's the nothing else to get attic, from it like a fling you have in the, <laughs> the lawn outside oh yeah then garden gnomes yeah <laughs> uh, I, I would see the attic so for shane and i we will reach the attic point portion of our relationship when everything just is mm-hmm. And we go and we go to the attic to put keepsakes in and things we don't want to get rid of. And that's where, that's what's in the attic. So I actually think of it more in terms of like when one of us dies before the other one. Yeah. Then you're going up to the attic. You're looking at the memories. Exactly. Yeah. God, that's fucking beautiful. I will also caveat this by saying that Jane is really into death research. Yes. Uh, We both both study uh, health communications. Um, So I love, I am fascinated by the things that make people uncomfortable. And death always makes people uncomfortable. And so I like want to look at how, how we talk about it and why is it uncomfortable? It shouldn't be uncomfortable. No, we all die. We, We all die and we all will encounter death, be it the death of a pet uh, to the death of a loved family member, to the death of a spouse or a partner or whatever it is. Like it's, we will experience it multiple times in our life. Right. Yeah. We never sit down and be like, so I was at this funeral and I got to tell you this like crazy thing happened because everybody, like we don't I farted share our at a funeral. <laughs> I farted at a funeral. I've done it. <laughs> like, but we don't tell those stories. And right. So I'm really interested in t- why, why aren't we telling those stories? Because those are, what I consider to be true human moments. Mm-hmm. And if we shared more of those true human moments, we might actually be nicer to each other mm-hmm. because then we'd realize like, Oh, we're actually all more similar. Absolutely. I think it's so weird that I've had friends or I've dated people and I've known them for a year. And then they open up about the fact that like their parent died. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, I had no idea. And then they like, talk about it briefly and then it's like something you never talk about again it's so odd that we aren't like that's the first thing you talk about do you tend to go deep in your friendships like do you ask deep questions i mean no we should all be asking deep questions yeah. all the time it's it's just more especially on a first date i can either be the best first date or the worst first date because i'm the gonna go same for the deep questions way because yes. it's more interesting and if you 
on the other side of the table for me don't find it interesting that right there i know this isn't gonna work out it tells me that you can't be vulnerable that is that is my red flag so that's yours for me it's that i'm an extremely curious person so Mm -hmm. if you're not remotely curious to ask these types of questions then this is we're just not like i'm gonna be like let's go to a museum and you're gonna go museums and i'm gonna be disappointed like this isn't gonna work so I need you to be equally as curious as I am, or at least amused or interested in my curiosity. If you're willing to not be curious, but let me be as curious as I want, that's also fine. I think that's what I am. I'm more like interested in curious people, mm-hmm. but like I prefer to stay in the shallow, in the shallow, shallow. <laughs> and then, but I'm, but I wish I were interested in having deep conversations i'm like can i ask you a question about that so are you more interested in the shallow because you're too afraid to go to your own depth right i would be terrified if i went on a first date with someone and he was like into like talking about deep things i would be scared and i would probably ghost him do you have those conversations and it sound like you talk to yourself all the time which i know you don't but we all but we all we also all do um, do you have those deep conversations with yourself? No. So you're afraid of going deep? Yeah. In general. yeah. And my life coach, Judy, told me to start journaling to talk to myself. So I've been filling up journals, but yeah. it's really hard to go deep. And then it quickly, I'm like, in my to-do list, in my um, like future planning, it's so hard to go deep. Yeah. Unless I'm drunk. <laughs> then the sky is the limit. Then let's get there. <laughs> So that's, so back in my day when I was dating three beers in <laughs> when I was doing all of my like experiment, I call it experimental dating. Cause I've dated all sorts of people who were interested in all sorts of things. Cause I really wanted to figure out like what I liked and what mm-hmm. I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, so back in those days it was, I mean, internet dating was around, but it wasn't like Tinder, the thing. Yeah. Hinge, none of that stuff was around. Um, and so and it was still really weird. Like people would be like, don't tell anybody we've been online. Whereas like now, man. The priest is like, they met on Tinder, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, Amen. But I always wanted to do it over drinks because I would ask deep questions mm-hmm. and people are more willing to answer them when they've had a couple of drinks. I think that it's hard though for someone who is self-reflexive to date somebody who is very much not and very like and afraid to be like because there's there's the there's the idea that you're curious about yourself and you want to do the work but you don't have the tools yet or you haven't you know had the good modeling for that and then there's men or women who like they just don't want to do that work because they're scared to go there so if you want to do the work yeah. Then the person who doesn't want to do the work isn't the match. No, absolutely not. And there's no point in trying to. That's that's where I get frustrated watching peers of any gender identification, of any uh, sexual orientation, when they feel like I really want this, and I'm sure if I if I just tried harder, I can convince the other person they want this. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Yeah. It's not your job to change who those people are. Right. They might not, they might get there, but they have to get there on their own journey. You do not have the time or energy to hold their hand through it. 
you know, find the person who wants to have the same kind of conversations you are, or is self-reflexive, maybe not in the same way, but is capable already. Right. You are not here to train people. Right. Absolutely. That's that I. Or you'll waste a year of your life. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Or multiple years being married, you know, and yeah. that's what we were talking about earlier yeah. with um, a friend of ours or a few friends of ours actually who got married at early age because I was saying I was maid of honor for somebody when I was 19 and she was 19 and um I know it was it's so young and my parents got married at that age and you know I've seen really yeah, but that wasn't un- <laughs> that that wasn't unheard Play that of SVU music when our <laughs> when our parents were that age, you know, but like for our generation, that is really young. And the reason is I think 33 is young. I'm like, wow, but, am I old enough? But the I think the reason that I think it's so young is that I know that I was an entirely, entirely different person then. I had not grown into the person I was going to be even remotely. I've been four people since then, you know, and we I know. I was also way skinnier at 19. <laughs> so part of me wishes I was like figured all this out sure. by the time I was 19 and still looked that good. But but I also like we know in our research, like in health communities research, that the human brain is not fully developed until 25. It's just not. There's also a difference between male and female, biological yeah. male and female. Yes. Like I, we talk about that. Yeah. yeah. And it matters because I think, so I think that relationships like that could last. I'm not saying that like anybody who gets married at a young age is automatically going to end in divorce. But I, my qualm with that is that you are not your own person yet. And you're now going to have to develop into your person having another person attached to you. And so either you're both going to, you know, find your own identity and you're going to grow together and that's going to be a healthy relationship for you. Mm -hmm. Or one person is going to grow and one person is not going to grow. One of the big things we want to ask you about, Jane, is you used to write a blog on dating. Yeah. Tell us more about that. So I'm a big thinker. I'm also a big feeler. I've been in therapy most of my life and I've had many therapists tell me, they're like, oh, you, you feel big. You're a big feeler. I'm a big feeler. Me too. We're both cancers. You two are so similar. <laughs> yeah, the so cancer vibes. I, I have big feels, and I, that doesn't mean touchy touchy. That just means like everything I, I experience is with my whole heart. Yeah. Uh, and so I've spent a lot of time trying to protect that. Mm-hmm. So writing about it became the way I figured out how to protect it, but also analyze my dating experiments because half the time I did see them as experiments of like. Sure. Okay, so this guy's really into bondage. I know nothing Ooh. about it. So I'm going to date this guy and learn about it and then like write about it so I can figure out if I like it or not. That's such an interesting part of your personality that you're so open and interested. I guess it's the curious part. Yeah, it's, I'm, I am so, I am, the line I always say is I'm, I'm really curious and because I'm not a cat, it's not a problem. No wonder you like Dak Shepard's podcast because he is yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the way he like analyzes people and breaks them down because I'm totally the same way. Mm-hmm. And I'll often be like, well, I know that what they said was a big problem, but have you considered the fact that they did this for a living? And that's going to, like, I'm, I'm very much that way because I find people fascinating. And so the, the dating blog really came down to how am I going to manage my big feelings sure. while also learning, like, how can I learn from 
these things that I need to learn so that I don't have as many ghosts. Yeah. So I would write about it. Therapists abound will be like, journal, tell us yes. about your feelings. Yeah. Yeah. This was just a variation of that. But because I'm a super nerd, I'd be like, well, why did I feel this way when that person spent the night? Let's research brain chemistry and add that sure. into the, the blog. And so then I learned a lot about like serotonin and dopamine and all these brain effects of like, you can sleep with somebody, but if you cuddle with them afterwards, then you're going to get feels. So really? no cuddling. Get oh the, yeah. Scoot. The cuddling causes the oxytocin. Yes. Connection. Cause the cuddling not causes that not sex. It's the cuddling that causes the relationship drugs, the relationship chemicals. <laughs> So I instantly would be like, thanks for the sex. Bye. Bye-bye. Like, kick them out of the bed because I already know you are not my life partner. I don't want to catch the feels. You got to go. I never <gasps> cuddle ever because I I don't like it. Like I feel trapped. Like I like my own space. <laughs> and I also sweat in my sleep. Mm-hmm. So I'm embarrassed about that. So I'm always like, this is my space. There's and if pillow. you're worried about the being embarrassed about that, mm-hmm. not a life partner. I oh, that's so sweet. I love that. If you if you fall asleep next to somebody and all of those things that you were will I look nice in the morning? Is my hair gonna be perfect? Will I look like they do in the movies? If you fall asleep and you're not even thinking about any of that and you wake up and you're not thinking about that, mm-hmm. potential life partner. Unless they are emotionally inept and never want to settle down like tall guy. <laughs> like oh, but you figure that out at some point, you do. and then you're like, oh, wait. You did date. I yeah. mean, it wasn't – yeah. Yeah, it no. went somewhere. Yeah. And in those moments, I always use the brain chemicals as an excuse. <laughs> I didn't pay attention to the red signs because I let them spend the night. It's my bad. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Which I'm, may or – it's a cop-out answer. Like, it may or may not be true, but it's an answer I can live with. Like, I'm willing to take that on the chin. That's yeah. fine. Huh. I'm curious about um, your partner, Shane, the Libra. Mm. When did you meet him? How did you meet him? And when did you know he was the one? Uh, okay, so we are regulars at a bar back at home. Okay. In Canada? Have, in Canada, oh. yes. In Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Uh, it's called the Migos Contain... Can, blah, blah, blah. Oh, don't you know? Oh, the don't you know. It was it's also the wine. Yeah. The wine. <laughs> um, so it's called Amigos Cantina. And it's a really great place that's been an establishment for 35 years more than 30 I think 38 at this point um and it's just a really great vibe of a place kind of a dive bar uh Tex-Mex kind of Mexican food but um, local but local everything so everybody knows each other there's this whole ton of regulars that go and so he and I were both of the regular crowd and a few, a couple other regulars who are sisters, um, they were experiencing an end of life situation with one of their parents. Mm-hmm. And having been there in my own life, I kind of said to them just off the cuff next to Shane one night, I was like, Hey, I know when you go through those things, like the normal everyday stuff, like doing the laundry or doing your dishes is going to be totally forgotten about. So if you want me to come over and do your laundry or do your dishes oh. or whatever, I'll come and do that. And he sent me a message the next day being like, I heard what you said, and that was really cool. Do you want to go for lunch sometime? Oh, my God. I just got full body chills. <laughs> that is so sweet. But the lunch was like a job interview. <laughs> well, I think, does anybody really know how to well, date? No. And so and- that lunchtime, he was like, 
how many siblings do you have? Tell me about your mother. Like he just asked me this series of questions. And at, up until like, I had been so confidently single mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, this guy that I met a regular, like we're regulars at the same bar. We've talked about going for lunch lots of times. Like we're just going for lunch. And then I left and went back. And at the time I was working in a communications office with a bunch of older women. And I walked back and was like, hey, I think I was on a date. Can like anybody <laughs> decipher this for me? And all those like, Old biddies were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That what are the date. signs? Oh, yeah, it was a date. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and then he officially asked me out on a date, and we went to go see a band play. A band? And, uh, they're, they're called the Sea Hags. They were a local band. Oh, cute. Uh, on December 12th. So this past year for our most recent anniversary, he reached out to them and got an, a poster from that night. <gasps> Oh my gosh, that is so sweet. Yeah, so we went and saw that, and it was a disaster of a first date. Like, I'm not gonna lie, it was horrible. Um, One of his best friend's exes was there and, like, totally did the basic instinct move and, like, flashed him her crotch. What? Fun. How fun? Yeah, she, like, flirted with him the whole time, and it was just a disaster, but we laughed our butts off. Like, we had so much fun with how bad it was going, but we had a great time. And oh then that day, my coffee pot had broken. So at some point in the night, I mentioned, like, I don't know what I'm going to do in the morning. My coffee pot's broken. I'm going to need coffee. So we showed up the next morning at my apartment with coffee. <gasps> and that's I love I him like, for you. That's when I was like, oh, this is really nice. And then, like, two weeks later, so where he was living was really close to where my mom was living. And so I would go to my mom's house and have dinner with her on Sundays and do my laundry because I'm cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Bring the sisters from the bars, laundry, well, you know, bring whatever, it all. Whatever, yeah. Just do it all. Yeah. Um, and I had mentioned to him the last time I saw him, I was like, oh, man, I'm out of windshield wiper fluid in my car. I think I went to wiper fluid. So he showed up at my mom's house, knocked on the door, introduced himself, and then put windshield wiper fluid in my car. Holy fuck. Yeah. And then left and just, like, waved and was like, hey, bye, nice to meet you. Are you kidding me yeah. i would have been like i'm marrying you right now like yeah. i would be fine with that so my mother who had seen me go through several disastrous relationships looked at me and was like never let this one go he's it yeah and really i kind of kind of well i kind of link it back to that like it was so practical and so necessary and that's entirely who he is mm-hmm. and that's entirely who i was looking for and didn't know it he's just yeah. sweet nice yeah kind he's a handful i'm not Why sure are we all? like he's a handful I am also a handful. And yeah. so our we figured out how to make our handfuls work. That sounds really dirty. <laughs> <laughs> We're here for it. <laughs> so no, we, that makes sense. Yeah. We figured out how they fit together. And so my handful matches his version of the handful. Yeah. And we complement each other that way. And so I get to be fully and completely myself around them. I love that. But it took me forever to figure out what fully and completely myself looked like. Yeah. And if I had have gone through that and all the experiments and all the disasters ahead of time. Yeah. I wouldn't have been in the right place to be up. So that whole like you have to love yourself before you find somebody who's gonna love you is actually kind of true. Yeah. It's a saying for a reason, yeah. you know. And did you feel any I mean this sounds like a magical connection, like your coffee pot broke. I mean I still believe in fairy tales. So do you think there was any I don't know like magic there like any divine intervention from any spirits on the other side helping you chris is very optimistic so but i see where you're going with it and i would argue not then but definitely later in the 
Yeah, they, they, they were like, okay, we'll help you now. Yeah. When we hit, and we've definitely, in 10 years, we've definitely hit some pretty serious rough patches. Yeah. And that's where the, I feel like the divine intervention, the, the patience to work through that together mm -hmm. required divine intervention. Spirituality. Yeah. So how did you know he was the one, what was the, the, the windshield wiper fluid? That was definitely a sign. Yeah. I think. God, was, I love that so much. But I think knowing he was the one was way more quiet than that. So it's those moments where I'm like watching a television show and I'm trying not to cry because like something happened to the dog and the dog. I just start crying and he doesn't do anything. He doesn't acknowledge it. So I don't have to be embarrassed. He just scoots over a little bit closer. And so it's though in, it's in those moments where I'm like, Oh yeah, you're the one I got it. It's good. That's it. Yeah. And so even and when real life happens, and I was talking about this earlier, so my mother now has Alzheimer's and dementia, and I've spent the past couple of years, my sister and I have both been primary caregivers in this context, and I couldn't do it without my sister at all. I have to give her that massive shout out. But Shane also, when I, when I phoned Shane in the middle of the day being like, mom's wandering again, I don't know where she is, I don't know when I'm going to be home, mm -hmm. I know I don't have to worry about anything at home. And that's worth its weight in gold. Yeah. When I'm dealing with crisis and know I can just do what I have to do and not worry about the dog saying walk to time or dinner happening or right. the bills being paid, like having that trust in somebody is so, mm -hmm. it's so worth it when real life hits. Cause you have, you're going to be called to go do stupid things that you're going to really regret and hate later, but not having to worry about anything else at the same time is really great. But I think that that's what is so great about y'all's relationship is like, it sounds like a true partnership. Yeah. And I think that like, we're not modeled that that's what we need to look for. Yeah, It's not somebody who's going to fulfill you, right? It's not somebody who's going to, you know, solve all your problems, yeah. but it's somebody who shows up and shows up consistently yeah. and you meet each other's needs and on a consistent. And remembers. Right. Really like simple stuff. Right. The bar is not astronomically high, gentlemen. No. Well, but, and if you do, if you are somebody who is setting an astronomically high bar, you have to then question yourself. Right. Because mm -hmm. there is nothing in life that is worth that height. Right. Like life is going to And it's be, not consistent either. Yeah, and it's life is going to be squishy farts and the flu and mm -hmm people dying and things, sad things happening and the messy dogs cries. Up in the middle of but, the or you change your food and then they poop all over the yeah, house. Like, yeah. Life is going to be dirty mm -hmm. and uncomfortable and gross lots of the time. And if you can't, if you're going to set a bar so high that nobody can achieve that, then you're also doing that to yourself. Mm -hmm. And you're going to put yourself through so much pressure to try to be something that's totally unattainable. Mm -hmm. My... I thought about this a, a couple of months ago. My sister fell out of her attic and um, there's a whole thing. And she has been bedridden for a while because she broke her tibia. Um, and I had to help her do everything while I was there. And so did my brother-in-law. Like she was in this, like had this old person's like toilet, makeshift toilet next to her bed and everything. Yeah. And I just was like, 
you know, this may sound crass, but I was like, you don't know how much you love someone unconditionally until you have to empty and clean their poop bucket. Like, oh <laughs> and then yeah. I was thinking, I was like, I don't think I've loved anyone that much. I don't think I've dated anyone who I would like clean up after, you know, and be okay with like those types of things. And it really like puts things into perspective and you're like, this is the person you might want to spend the rest of your life with, you know? Yeah. Maybe the poop bucket person isn't a great first date, but you get there and you love them. What is the worst date you've ever been on? Oh no. There's so many. Can I tell you about the worst guy I ever dated? Absolutely. Okay. So I refer to him as the camel Mm. and I'll tell you why in a minute. I went on a, I met him online. I went on a date with him at a bar and then went like, oh, he might be the worst slash best. I'll get there. And then I, like a couple days later, I went to his place and he made me dinner and we had some drinks and then we slept together and it was the worst sex of my life. So then a couple days later, I like invite him back to my place and I try to redeem that. And he pushes me off and he's like, no, no, because we just did it. And I'm like a sexual camel. We don't need to do it again. So hence why he's called the camel. So many questions. At this point, I'm like, fine, whatever. But then he keeps in contact with me and keeps inviting me over. So I keep going over to his house because he a, keeps making me dinner, keeps giving me wine, and then sending me home on my merry way. And I'm broke. So dude's going to feed me and give me booze. Yeah, I'm there. It's fine. Yeah. There's one night where he takes a phone call, which I'm pretty sure is with another girl. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, whatever. I'm still eating this guy's food and yeah. eating his booze, so I don't yeah. care. And I don't have to do anything for it other yeah. than show up, so I don't care. Get yours. And his roommate shows up. So I start talking to his roommate. And his roommate turns out to be the Etch Scratch artist who I have like Ooh. no relationship with for three years. So we're not dating, but he's a huge part of my life and like an important part of my life at mm-hmm. certain points. So I met him through the camel, but the camel was awful. And then near the end of my like time with the Etch a Sketch artist, we've realized that at this point we've played each other a lot. Like we've played the game and we've kind of been disrespectful in ways neither one of us is comfortable. So we're airing our dirty laundry. And he says to me, he's like, All right, how many times did you sleep with my roommate? And I was like, just the once. But I definitely used him for his booze and his food. And the actual sketch artist says to me, oh, because he used to, like, sneak out and I didn't go see somebody and he always was telling me I was sleeping with you. And I was like, <gasps> definitely not. Then the actual sketch artist, and so this is where, like, both of them get burn points. The actual sketch artist then says, yeah, he often used to talk about how you weren't much to look at, but you were a good enough lay. <gasps> and I was just like, oh, why are you telling me this, like, four years after the fact? Like, I don't need to know any of this. I'm super mad now. And I know he tried to dig himself out of the hole being like, but I really like you and I think you're beautiful. And I was just like, no, no, no. (laughs) So I think that was probably the worst, but it took, it was a slow burn. Mm -hmm. Let's dig into the meals because I'm a little hungry. What did the camel cook for you? It would be like steak and asparagus and like Mm. nice meals. He was a good cook. My favorite part about the camel is that uh, for a while I had a roommate who worked at a pub in like a couple towns over and I would occasionally go to work with her mm-hmm. because her boss was this like big black British dude who really loved me and loved the stories I told. And so I'd go 
and he'd pay buy me breakfast and I'd have like a beer and breakfast or whatever because British pubs, so you have breakfast beer. Love it. Love um, it. And I would sit there and this roommate started telling me stories about this guy she would serve at lunchtime all the time and how rude he was. Da, 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 da. And eventually, like three months into living with this woman, we clued in that that's the camel. <gasps> so she had heard all these stories about the camel. And then she said, and so we clued in. And so then she told her boss, Derek, who the next time he was in, kicked him out of the bar. He was like, Love. you don't treat no. me very well. You're out of here. And he kicked him out of the Scoot. bar. With no context at a lunch hour when I wasn't even around. So that's my favorite part about the story was like. Shout yeah. out to Derek. Yeah. He was a lovely man.